September 2023. Welcome to Muse News, the BCMA's monthly museum sector news podcast. Each month, we recap some of the latest breaking news, happenings, and announcements from museums, galleries, and heritage organizations across BC and beyond. I'm Lorenda Kelbert, joined by my co-anchor, Leah Patterson. Join us as we explore the latest Muse news. Over to you, Leah. Royal BC Museum Collections Building Underway After First Nations Blessing Construction of the Royal BC Museum's new Collections and Research Building is officially underway in Colwood's Royal Bay neighborhood. The 15,200-square-meter building, built of mass timber, will house the province's collection and archives, with dedicated research labs and learning spaces. It's designed to improve access for the public, as only 1% of the museum's vast collection is on display. The province said it expects the building to be substantially completed by the fall of 2025 and open to the public in 2026. The capital cost of the facility is $270 million, up $45.6 million from the province's estimate in June of 2021, and $93 million over what was presented in the budget in April 2021. Maple Rinders Construction Limited, based in Mississauga, Ontario, was awarded the contract for design and construction of the project. Rubens Skoltens, vice president of major projects for the Maple Rinders Group, said the company is, quote, committed to delivering a world-class facility that will not only serve as a tourist attraction, but also as a symbol of the deep cultural connections between the First Nations community and the land, end quote. The new facility will ensure the museum's collections are properly stored and safeguarded and meet best international practices and standards, according to the province. A statement from the Ministry of Culture and Tourism said that the items in the current archives and museum buildings near the Inner Harbour are below sea level and at risk from flooding, including books and manuscripts, rare and priceless artworks such as watercolors from the 1700s, and several paintings by Emily Carr and early provincial maps. A First Nations ceremony to bless the workers and the land was held on August 31st. Noom Tanat, Florence Dick, Indigenous Liaison Officer for the Collections and Research Building, called the project an example of how all major projects involving the provincial government should be done. An opinion piece written by Mary Ann Murphy for the Vancouver Sun. It has been an astonishing 20 years since the historic 2003 Okanagan Mountain Park wildfire, an event that destroyed more than 25,000 hectares of parkland, forced more than 33,000 people to evacuate, and leveled 238 homes. At the time, it was one of the largest wildland-urban interface fires in Canadian history. It forever changed our landscape and our psyche. The financial losses were in the millions, to say nothing of the incomparable cost to our communal sense of safety and security. We can never have anticipated that 20 years later, a provincial state of emergency, evacuations, smoke-filled skies, and hundreds of fires would become what we would be told may be our new normal. In 2004, a year after the Okanagan Mountain Park fire, I led an interdisciplinary team of UBC researchers to study the depth and significance of the loss of a home. The team, which included photographer Fern Helfand, earth and environmental scientist David Scott, and a nursing professor Penny Cash, interviewed 25 Okanagan families one year after their houses burned. We captured the very personal impact of the fire and related their losses in a Kelowna Museum exhibition titled The Meaning of Home. 
The exhibition included fire science and artifacts, along with images depicting impact and loss identified by both the families and a number of the Fortis linemen who were among the first to enter the fire areas. Museum visitors left familiar reflections on the depths and significance of what was lost. To quote, the most heartbreaking sight was watching the people drive by with all of their belongings in their vehicles. The most wonderful thing was hearing how your community came together. Seeing the fire was eerily awesome. It was both Kelowna's darkest and finest hour. While the museum exhibit has long been packed away, we vividly remember the families, stories, and the trauma of those who, if they even had the opportunity, rushed to gather belongings and protect their children and pets. There were important items that family members had forgotten as the acute stress of the moment trumped logical thinking. Later, they berated themselves for not taking computers, hard drives, the oldest objects in their homes, photographs, Christmas decorations, favorite clothing out of the laundry bin, collections and souvenirs, artwork and important papers. We all recall the profound guilt felt by those who left behind simple but irreplaceable mementos that represented deeply embedded memories children's trophies and stuffed animals, family heirlooms, and old, inexpensive keepsakes that most represented what they cherished about their home and history. We were then, and remain today, deeply touched by the remarkable families we met and the strength that they, they displayed as they tearfully described the guilt they felt about asking for help. They had survived. Their families were intact. Insurance promised to cover most of their losses. Yet they grieved had sleepless nights, health problems, and worked to help their children adjust to new neighborhoods and friends. They yearned for a life without insurance lists, tasks, and the endless work of recovery. They also deeply missed the solace and solitude provided by familiar home, land, and environment. They mourned about living with the incredible loss of what was more than a structure, as every comfort, every family routine and ritual, every familiar was returned upside down. They struggled with the loss of something that many people work, sacrifice, and tend to and care about. Not a house, but a home. A place that is a reflection of yourself, a welcoming safe harbor, a site of shared history, comfort, celebrations, and traditions. In homage to these and other families experiencing fire stress and loss, we published a commemorative mixed-media visual essay to reach first responders and emergency social service workers. Our goal was to share our insights about the meaning of loss, the significance of beloved objects and homes, and the family's experiences with evacuations and adjustment. On the 20th anniversary of the Okanagan fires, we want those families to know that we still think of them often and have worked to impart their lesson to others, including a sense of what was really important. For us, the new normal refers to their fortitude in grappling with adjustment and recovery, Lessons of particular significance as the frequency and severity of fires only increases. We hope everyone will pause in reading this to empathize with the trauma they and other current evacuees experience, nothing short of a momental disruption of their lives. Our hearts go out to the people and communities of BC whose current experiences resonate with us all. Racist Policies Against Chinese Revealed a New Coquitlam Heritage Exhibit a century-old census of Fraser Mills is now on display at the Coquitlam Public Library in a new exhibit called the 1923 Chinese Exclusion Act. In the 1910 census for Fraser Mills, a sawmill community south of the Coquitlam neighborhood of Mailerville, the laborers are tallied according to their ethnicities. Japanese, 66. Chinese, 24. Hindus, 172. At the time, they totaled at least 200 more than the white men working and living on the site, 
but because of the anti-Oriental riots of 1907 in Vancouver, the Asian numbers at Fraser Mills were dwindling in favor of Quebec employees. The written headcount from that era is now on display in the new Coquitlam Heritage Society exhibit called the 1923 Chinese Exclusion Act. The exhibit is up until September 29th at the city center branch of the Coquitlam Public Library. Time to coincide with the 100th anniversary of the federal legislation, and to bring light to the anti-immigration attitudes of Fraser Mills, the show is an acknowledgement of Chinese emigrants who were impacted by racism at the turn of the century. Marcus Farner, Coquitlam Heritage Exhibits Manager, along with UBC History undergraduate student Colton Enflin, curated the exhibit after seeing a national commemoration exhibit called The Paper Trail to the 1923 Chinese Exclusion Act by Catherine Clement at the Chinese Canadian Museum in Vancouver. The show features hundreds of identity documents issued by the Dominion of Canada that were used to track Chinese Canadians during the Chinese Immigration Act. The documents were a reminder to the owner of their second-class status in Canada. Farner got permission from six Coquitlam families whose ancestors' certificates are part of the Paper Trail collection at the UBC Library to reproduce them for the library show. Besides the stories and identification cards, the exhibit also highlights items from the Coquitlam Heritage Collection that were regularly used by Chinese Canadians, such as railway materials, a teacup, a mahjong set, musical instruments, and an abacus. As well, the panels are written in English and Cantonese. Back to you, Lorenda. The curator for Nanaimo Museum exhibit asked himself what was sacred during a renaissance of Indigenous art. We're in this moment right now where artists are making work that is affirmative of our identities and our experiences and our stories, said Elliot Whitehill of the Nanaimo First Nations. And it comes in all different kinds of mediums and forms, and it's just really beautiful that we're all doing this work that addresses the realities of being Indigenous today in Canada. The museum's exhibit, titled What is Sacred, showcases not only contemporary artworks of 12 Mid-Island Coast Salish artists, but also historical and ancestral artifacts that reflect cultural teachings. As the curator of such a localized show, White Hill acknowledged that the Salish world expands far beyond the boundaries of the exhibiting artists. The inception of What is Sacred started in the spring with White Hill's Master of Fine Arts thesis, exhibit for the Emily Carr University of Art and Design. Also a Coast Salish visual artist and storyteller himself, Whitehill considers the two exhibits to be parallel, and that they both address the revitalization of Coast Salish art, but do so with different voices. The museum exhibit, he said, is a platform to celebrate and hold up the voices of Indigenous artists other than himself, and also honor, honor the artifacts on display. When I first started learning about Salish art, I realized how many barriers and how many gates are in the way of us as cold Salish people accessing knowledge about ourselves, and that almost always is told and expressed from the perspective of people who are non-Indigenous and not from our communities, Whitehill said. There's been such a history of disrespect and erasure of Coast Salish art within our own territories. An aspect of the exhibit the curator also said he was excited about was to explore the definition of Indigenous art of what it could be, and to break free from the expectation of what other people may think it should be. One thing that I really found across our teachings from the elders and the ancestors is that tradition is meant to change and it's meant to evolve. We're a living culture, he said, adding that traditions such as carving and weaving are beautiful and impactful, but contemporary mediums and conceptual art is as equally significant and valid. 
What is Sacred will be featured at the Nanaimo Museum until November 18th.
Thanks, Lorenda. Back to you, Lorenda. Over to you, Lorenda. Thank you so much, Lorenda.